the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I'm 29, so I'm right around the age that she was when this happened. And I don't know if I could be manipulated into killing someone. Probably not at this point, knowing the story. But I could be manipulated into other terrible things. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting kind of far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And this is part two of our story on Diane Hood. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to go back and listen to that one first or else this is not going to make any sense and you're going to spoil yourself. But what day is it, Billy? All right. We have a couple of things to choose from today, but I am going to go with National Animation Day. Mm. And the reason why I want to go with that, actually, it's actually International Animation Day. What is your favorite cartoon? My favorite cartoon as a child was Ren and Stimpy. And I thought that I was so cool that my parents let me stay up on Friday nights and watch Ren and Stimpy and nobody else my age could. I wasn't allowed to watch that or Cat Dog. What was so bad about Cat Dog? My mom thought it was a sick show. Like those they were creatures connected. merged together like that. It's like a dog, cat, human centipede. <laughs> it was like human centipede. With a dog and a cat. The hatred for that concept runs deep in my family. Wow. It's so weird. Yes, was, yes it is. I, but to answer your question, my favorite cartoon is BoJack Horseman. Hmm. Oh, a recent. It's not as a kid, though. Like, what is it, What about as a kid? I wasn't allowed to really watch cartoons. But, like, My Little wow. Pony, I like... I like um, Star Bright. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But not um, Cat Dog. My Little Pony. Hmm. Right? Rainbow Bright. Rainbow Bright. Shit. Rainbow Bright, yes. I feel like those were, were those Bright. actually cartoons. Those were like real, yeah. real shows. They were. Well, Care Bears, Smurfs. Those were all Reagan good. signed into law. It used to be that you weren't allowed to make cartoons about toys. And Reagan was just like, screw it. That's why you had so many cartoons, particularly in the 80s, and then it moved oh. on. Every cartoon was based on a toy. There was a Rubik's Cube cartoon. There were so many Pac-Man cartoons. It was like it was anything to sell stuff, and they basically became 30-minute commercials. I mean, some of them were okay. What kind of law is that? Who is wasting their time crafting a law probably about that in the first place? Probably because it's like a form of weird underhanded advertising. Exactly. So oh. it's probably because you can yeah. manipulate kids into being – yeah. Loyal and that's brand followers probably forever. And, so it's sort of and, and just Ra- like and Reagan was like, you know what? I'm good. We're good. Go for it. Like and then it's like G.I. Joe and messages and, yeah. like buy this <laughs> forever. Interesting. I would like a history lesson on that. That's really interesting. Um, are there any other good days, Billy? Wait, Billy, what was your favorite cartoon? My favorite cartoon was Challenge of the Super Friends. And that was when the Super Friends would actually fight the Legion of Doom. And it, it was more than just the Super Friends. It was the ancillary ca- characters like um, Apache Chief. And and uh, <laughs> they would fight the the Legion of Doom who had a bunch of like other crazy characters like uh, Black Manta and things. So that was my favorite one. Yeah. I've, I've never ever I'm glad you heard that. Thank you so much for the detail <laughs> yeah. also. Yeah. So, Should I have told you, know, you the plot of all of my favorite like, cartoons? You know what? No, but I was just trying to explain why Challenge of the Super Friends was better than the regular Super Friends. What I want to say from last week before we get started, too, is that it's come to my attention that there are two ways you can pronounce Jennifer Reilly's last name as we were pronouncing it, really. It could also be Reilly. Oh. But I was told it's like a tomato-tomato sort of thing. But pointing it out there on other shows, you might hear it pronounced either of two ways. It's it's all a matter of perspective. But as how you did, were, Billy. Sorry, how did she say that she spelled her or pronounced her name? Didn't matter? I don't know. I I haven't so another thing, if anyone ever criticizes us for pronunciation, I refuse to watch or listen to any shows about a case we're doing because right. I don't want to accidentally lift the format of how they tell the story. So I never listen to anything. So then sometimes I'm not aware of the correct pronunciation of these things because I just don't want to accidentally like 
subconsciously, subconsciously yield yeah. from another source. Exactly. So that's why that happens sometimes. So just putting that out there, please don't send us any messages with corrections. I can't <laughs> handle it. can't handle it. We're going to just be pronouncing it really in this podcast because we yes. pronounced it that way last week. But okay. Yes. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. In last week's episode, we took you through the investigation into the murder of Diane Hood, which ultimately led to a suspect in the form of 28-year-old Jennifer Reilly. Once she was under arrest, Jennifer pointed the finger at Diane's husband, Brian Hood, as the mastermind of this plot, someone who used manipulation tactics to control her. Both Jennifer and her lover, Brian, were arrested for Diane's death. The case generated vast media interest, and the public was divided on whether Jennifer's crime was a case of fatal attraction, or if Brian was in on the plan to get rid of his wife all along. Last week, we left off with a question we tasked all of you with answering. Can the power of remorse and redemption even begin to chip away at the magnitude that the wrongdoing of murder presents? Our first-degree ally, who met Jennifer at a prison parolee church program, is still with us today as we work to find an answer to this question. And though there has never been any doubt about who shot Diane Hood, the mystery is why. And in order to explore that, we need to go back to the beginning. To the beginning of Brian and Jennifer's affair, that is. It's hard to define the word affair precisely because the meaning of this word is subjective and nuanced. But I think that most of us can agree that any affair is generally indicative of the fact that something is amiss or unbalanced within a couple's relationship. And without the proper communication tools or skills to help reconcile the issues, one or both partners may find themselves astray as they attempt to have their needs fulfilled. Whether that's a lack of intimacy, a need to feel valued, boredom, or any number of things, right? So in 1984, Jennifer was in college attending the University of Washington when she met her future husband, Ben Reilly. She eventually dropped out of college to move with Ben to Colorado Springs as they could get married and start raising a family. As their marriage progressed, Ben changed because he was allegedly very militant in his personal life as well. And it was alleged that he was really controlling and he yelled at and verbally abused Jennifer in front of their two children. And Ben really spent a lot of time living on the army base, leaving Jennifer alone to care for the kids by herself. And increasingly, Jennifer began to feel trapped in her marriage. However, one thing that was constant for Jennifer was her exercise routine, which involved going to a gym nearby. And it was at this local health club that Jennifer really first crossed paths with Brian Hood. It was March of 1990. And they caught each other's eyes in the gym's hot tub. Now, Brian was 6'4", 220. And Jennifer was a stunner. They both took fitness seriously. And they recognized that in each other. Jennifer eventually came to learn that Brian had a wife named Diane and they had three children. So that initial meeting led to a friendship. And then that led to workout sessions together. And they bonded over protein shakes, that kind of stuff. And little by little, they began to share things about their respective marriages. And while each of their situations were very different, the commonality they shared was that they were both becoming increasingly unhappy in their marriages and both becoming increasingly interested in each other. Brian started coming on to Jennifer, and not in subtle ways. Temptation was creeping in. The state of Jennifer's marriage is no excuse in terms of committing a crime, but does demonstrate a possible susceptibility to the right person's advances. I mean, these are all kind of the circumstances that led up to it, and it's not that they're an excuse, because of course murder is never okay, but one of the things she talked about is she had married a someone in the Air Force, because we have an Air Force base down in Colorado Springs, 
And so she had gone with him to this base. She was all alone. All her family was elsewhere. She wasn't really connecting with the other military wives. And so she felt very isolated. And she was kind of right in that emotional position where it was easy to be to be swept away and to be picked up by someone who was who was going to manipulate her. Jenny saw Brian as this handsome new knight in shining armor. And Brian was excited by Jennifer because she was pretty and frankly, she was something different. It's alleged that Brian started to lose interest in Diane because she had started suffering from some lupus symptoms. And these included rashes, exhaustion, shortness of breath, and things like that. And it's totally a cliche, but it's not all that surprising. Jennifer was fit, healthy, and really very, very beautiful. So Brian sounds like a dick who wanted to cheat on his wife as soon as things got hard. But that is the cliche. And because Diane was beautiful too, so she was also young. She was in her early 30s. So this isn't even a case of this man leaving for a younger woman or anything like that. Sex between Brian and Jennifer didn't start right away. They kept thanks to flirting at the gym in the beginning. But by May of 1990, when Ben was out of town, Jennifer invited Brian inside. And here's what happened based on what Jennifer said in court. After inviting Brian inside, Jennifer went into the kitchen to get coffee. Brian followed her in, then spun her around and kissed her hard and passionately. They started messing around. Afterwards, Brian's shirt was crinkled. And Jennifer offered to iron it for him so he wouldn't raise any alarms to his wife upon returning home in this sort of disheveled, crinkled shirt. So basically, she offered to iron it for him. In the laundry room, he puts the shirt back on. And out of nowhere, he sort of drops his pants. And she said, quote, he lifted me up on the dryer and washer and we had sex. After this intercourse, Brian allegedly said to her, in the eyes of God now, we are one. And following their first encounter, they continued to meet more and more frequently, and they ended up becoming more and more intimate. They had sex in their cars. They had sex in parking lots. They started fantasizing about actually being together for real. And as their bond solidified, Brian would continue to assign these religious ideologies to aspects of their relationship, like the one that Alexa said before, which is disgusting to me. And in addition to talking about God, Brian doted on Jennifer, complimented her constantly, and he lavished her with this attention, which was something that Jennifer hadn't experienced in what felt like forever for her. And Brian would also commiserate with her and talk shit about her husband, Ben. He would tell Jennifer that Ben didn't deserve her and that she was too good for him. The relationship continued moving towards a crescendo. And Brian found parallels between he and Jennifer's relationship and the relationships of various biblical figures. He pointed to the account in the book of Samuel of King David's marriage to his mistress, Bathsheba. And if you know anything about the Bible, this is what happens. David actually sends Bathsheba's husband off to war and off to certain death so he can be with Bathsheba. He expressed mounting displeasure regarding the symptoms of lupus that Diane was experiencing. And by now, it was no secret to Jennifer that Brian was deeply unhappy in his marriage to Diane. And he would vent, talk about wanting to be gone. But according to Jennifer at the time, that's really all it seemed to be. It was just, it was venting. More and more, Brian insisted that the affair between him and Jennifer was ordained by God. And Jennifer, desperate for attention and to be loved, she ate this up. And remember in last week's episode when we told you about Diane's lupus diagnosis? Well, the prognosis was actually good. While symptoms of any illness generally aren't pleasant, Diane's case was manageable. And according to those who knew her, she wasn't suffering terribly, and she wasn't in any real constant pain. Regardless of Diane's relatively benign symptoms, Brian starts using different parts of the Bible to talk about God and mercy. So you see where this is going. So things went from bizarro world to bizarro universe, because Brian started telling Jennifer that he believed Diane needed to die. 
it would be bestowing mercy on her to put her out of her misery. And the subject of divorce came up for sure, but Brian insisted the sin of divorce was far worse than a mercy killing. Here we see Brian cherry-picking biblical verses to interpret as sinister, and he overlooked the fifth commandment altogether. That one, of course, being, thou shall not kill. Brian told Jennifer that Diane wasn't the same woman he'd married. Diane used to be a vivacious mother, and now she required constant care and was literally withering away in front of him. Of course, we all know this wasn't really the case. But Brian continued, telling Jennifer that Diane needed to die and that Jennifer should be the one to do it. According to Jennifer's testimony, by this point, she truly believed that killing Diane was God's will, and it was wrong not to do it. And so she talked about, you know, how how special he made her feel. And a lot of the things you hear about charming cult leaders, you know, that they they make you feel special and they make you feel like you're the, the greatest person in the world. And, and so when they then get around to trying to suggest you do things, it's easier for you to rationalize why it's okay to do that. He used a lot of like Bible verses to say, well, you know, she's suffering. She has lupus. I, God wants you to kill her and put her out of her misery. So while I don't think that all the blame should go on Brian, of course, I think that he knew what he was doing and definitely manipulated her to the point where she could rationalize doing something like that. So Brian worked to convince Jennifer that this lupus diagnosis was a death sentence for Diane and that her suffering needed to be ended. And there's another thing. Brian conveniently had an insurance policy taken out on his wife, Diane, for $100,000. Suicide was excluded from the coverage, but the policy covered death resulting from either an automobile accident or a crime. And, and this one's important, if Diane were to be murdered, the policy would double and the payout would be $200,000. So according to Jennifer, Brian worked for months to come up with ideas about how Diane should be killed. And as we know, he ultimately landed on a staged robbery in a parking lot as being the best bet. And when Jennifer expressed her fear over the prospect of actually going through with this plan, Brian told her that she shouldn't bother being worried about the sin of murder because they had already indulged in the sin of adultery, and that's practically the same, according to Brian. He assured Jennifer that it's okay that she killed Diane as long as she repented afterwards. And Brian allegedly pressured Jennifer for three months before she finally caved and agreed to do it. And then, as we shared with you in great detail on last week's episode, on September 12th of 1990, Jennifer went through with it and shot her lover's wife twice at close range, killing her in a staged robbery. From everything that Jenny's told me, and and that's really the biggest perspective I have, is from everything that Jenny's told me, is really that he wanted his wife gone and and Jenny was the weapon he didn't want to do it himself and I guess he thought that that you know convincing Jenny to do it would be would keep him in the clear and it obviously didn't she never talked about him as a mentally unstable person she she talked about him like I've heard other cult survivors talk about cult leaders very charming very persuasive I think especially in a lot of Christian communities, the ability to quote the Bible and to take that and interpret it on the fly can be seen sometimes as intense knowledge and intense Christian knowledge. And so that can sometimes be very intimidating and very, you know, oh, well, this person knows all these verses and knows where to pick them out and how to use them. They must know more about the Bible and more about Christianity than I do. As we detailed in last week's episode, it took only a handful of days for Jennifer to be implicated in Diane's murder. And once she confessed, Brian was obviously brought in too. Following the indictments for first-degree murder and conspiracy, Brian was charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, solicitation to commit first-degree murder, and first-degree murder. And the media attention exploded. That's when people started calling Jennifer the fatal attraction killer. And based on the public's knowledge of the case, it was determined that Jennifer could not get a fair trial in Colorado Springs. So her trial was moved to Glenwood Springs, which is on the other side of Colorado. 
But even in this county, the prosecutors had a difficult time finding people who didn't already have their minds made up about the case. And Glenwood actually has a place in true crime history because that's where one of the jails that Ted Bundy escaped from resides. Jennifer's trial would play out first. And by now, prosecutors had agreed to take the death penalty off the table in exchange for Jennifer's testimony against Brian. And Brian was going to go to trial the following year. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Jennifer's defense at trial was that of insanity. She claimed that she had been brainwashed by Brian Hood, who groomed her into the killing by saying it was God's work. So over the course of the seven-week trial, Jennifer detailed the relationship and the planning of the murder from start to finish. Witnesses for the defense testified, including one of Brian's friends who came forward with a damning story. Brian had actually told this witness that he wanted Diane dead. Other friends of Brian's testified that they were afraid of Brian and that they were worried about whether he was capable of killing them too. But the prosecution called witnesses also, calling Jennifer's mother-in-law, Renata Reilly, who scoffed at the idea that Jennifer was brainwashed into committing murder or anything. Renata testified that her daughter-in-law, Jennifer, was domineering. Her friends even called her, quote, the general. Renata insisted that Jennifer would fake her way through anything. Ben also testified her husband, well, I think by this point, ex-husband, and he said on the stand that Jennifer was prone to violence and had even once thrown a steak knife at him. Jennifer actually took the stand and testified in great detail of the months of pressure, manipulation, all of that that she experienced at the hands of Brian prior to Diane's murder. But unfortunately, the jury just didn't buy it, and she was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Jennifer really was sentenced to life in prison without parole. But in 2011, she was resentenced and the possibility of parole was added. Brian's trial commenced the following year and he was facing murder and conspiracy charges. And Brian's defense insisted that Jennifer acted alone when she shot and killed Diane. They went so far as to say that Jennifer went insane and killed Diane after Brian had tried to do the right thing and end the affair with his mistress. And throughout the trial, Brian maintained his innocence. Prosecution witnesses, including a friend of Brian's who testified that Brian had confided in them that he wanted Diane to die, quote, because she was going to die anyways. The Hood's family doctor took the stand, and he testified that Diane had the most mild form of lupus and that it would be easily managed, and she was not going to die. Diane's closest friend took the stand. Darla Blue testified that the Hoods had overcome many of the marital differences that they were facing in regards to Jennifer during a three-day trip to Sun Valley, Idaho, and they had taken this trip just two weeks before her murder. When Diane returned, she told her friends that they had agreed on this trip to, quote, commit themselves anew. Another interesting piece of information was that only five hours before Diane's murder, Brian picked up a monthly supply of Diane's medicine at a local pharmacy. So the pharmacist who gave Brian's drugs was familiar with the Hoods as a couple. Nancy Bramley was then called to the stand and testified. She said, When I asked him about Sun Valley, his face lit up. He said the trip was like a honeymoon. It's no shock that the life insurance policy Brian had taken out on Diane would be brought up at trial. Nothing screams motive like that suspicious life insurance policy of a murder victim. 
One win for Brian's defense was that Diane's brother, David Moore, supported Brian throughout the duration of the trial. And he said, quote, I don't believe Brian is guilty. This woman took my sister from me. Now she's trying to take Brian away from me. She's ruined our family. End quote. Despite the support of Diane's family, Brian Hood was found guilty of two counts of criminal solicitation. One count of conspiracy to murder his wife, but on the charge of first-degree murder, he was found not guilty. He was sentenced to 37 years at the Sterling Correctional Facility in Sterling. And many, including the police who investigated this case, believe to this day that Brian Hood got away with murder. Following Brian's conviction, he and Diane's two children, now essentially orphaned, were sent to live in Houston with their paternal grandparents. Jennifer and Brian are both behind bars and in separate prisons, but they took different paths in their incarceration. Jennifer became a model prisoner and released two albums of gospel music about remorse. The albums were titled Love Me In and Prisoner of Hope. And these were all released in her quest to atonement. I think that it's something that came with time and with, you know, spending the time in prison with not a lot to do, but reflect. And so I think that she did understand the magnitude and, and that she was very mindful of what I did was absolutely not okay. And I took someone away from their family and that's not okay. So I think she was very mindful of it at the time that I knew her. And, you know, she actually, she wrote a book about it. And the book is called Love Me Into the Kingdom of God. And it comes actually with the CD that she recorded with my mom. And there's a lot in there about all of the different things that she felt and her her kind of experience in coming to terms with what she did. So, you know, I think that, of course, manipulation is real and it, and people do it. But I think she was very mindful of, I did something bad and I I did something terrible and it didn't just affect, you know, this woman. It wasn't just ending her life. It affected her family as well. And I know that she's apologized multiple times and I think that their reaction was not so great to it. Which they're they're entitled to that, you know. They've they've lost a loved one. They're entitled to to never forgive if they if that's what they feel is the right path. And while Jennifer was on the road to redemption, whether any of you listening believe in such redemption to be possible or not, Brian took a different path while he was incarcerated. Brian actually escaped from prison with another inmate, and he was caught a mere twenty hours later. And more time was added to his sentence, but. While we're on the subject of comparing and contrasting, Brian got 37 years and Jennifer got life. It was later reduced to life with parole, but it's still just very, this whole situation is very glaring considering he was the one with the insurance policy. He was the one who planted the seed for this plan. He's the one who, I mean, I think even his his motive to break out of prison is indicative of who, of who he is. You know what I mean? Like he just is this dick. Jennifer took her incarceration very seriously and Brian totally betrayed his obligation to serve time for his wrongdoing by breaking out of jail. None of this reads as fair. From the articles that I read, she she was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole at the time. And the boyfriend, the, the man that she was having an affair with, was sentenced to some kind of jail time for conspiracy. And I think it just really blew my mind because as an a teenager and young adult, I had watched a lot of like Snapped and, and other true crime shows. And, you know, they always talk about, oh, it's just a perfect idyllic life. And then, and then they just snapped and they, they did what they did. They killed someone. And it just didn't seem real that I could put together someone who I, who I found so nice and sweet and charming to be the same kind of person who would do something like that. So it was really hard to kind of reconcile those two different personalities that I, I saw. Jennifer was denied parole three times before it was granted in 2017, and a risk assessment for really placed her on the very low on the threat scale, meaning that she is unlikely to harm society or reoffend. 
and the ISPI parole program has allowed Jennifer to drive a vehicle, hold a job, and live life without being bound by chains in a Denver apartment with a cat and dog. And the only stipulations are she must continue to honor the no-contact order with the Hood family. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. When one of the more recent governors left office, one of the things that he did was he commuted her sentence so that she could be um, eligible for parole. And I know that Diane's family was upset about that, and they've gone to, they went to all the parole hearings, and she was actually denied unsupervised parole for a very long time. And I think that that's maybe where we need to be looking closer at things is we need to look at what they're doing while they're in prison and maybe make that parole possibility work differently. Make it be conditional. Because I'm sure that they, that I mean, they're monitored 24-7 when they're in prison. So if we could look at what these people are doing while they're in prison and look at how they are living their lives, maybe we could get a better understanding of who does deserve the possibility of redemption and who does deserve that, that rehabilitation chance versus who doesn't. I mean, I know that Brian got a lesser sentence, but then he did bad things in jail. And so his sentence got extended and he's still in prison. So on the, on both ends of the crime, there's people that, that went to prison and acted very differently. Jennifer was committed to her remorse in taking the life of Diane Hood. She wrote songs about her. She spoke about her. She dedicated the rest of her time on this planet to being introspective and trying to repent enough to make things right. This continued when Jennifer was released, which is where she crossed paths with her first degree alley. Jenny had pancreatic cancer and she passed in 2018. And I wasn't there when, when she passed. I actually sang at her funeral, but from the stories that I've heard from the people that were with her when she passed, she was very, very at peace with the idea of of the fact that she was passing and that she was going to be with God and that she, w- she was going to have no more suffering. So I think that definitely changes perspective for her, definitely. And I think for other people, too, it's, it's a lot about how you understand religion because of course, religion can be interpreted in so many different ways. And we know that there's, there's Christian extremists that, that don't fall back on the message of love in the Bible. They fall back on the message from kind of the Old Testament of laying down the law and that kind of stuff. And so I think it really depends on each person who's looking at it. But I think that Jenny in prison, you know, really took religion to heart. And really took that to heart as, I'm going to be a better person because I have been forgiven for this terrible thing that I did. Diane's son, Jared Hood, forgave Jennifer and Brian. And he even supported their request for parole. Jared said in an interview that, quote, his mother taught him to be a good sport and to walk in the fruit of the spirit. I will honor her legacy by continuing in the way of Christ. I believe this is what she would have wanted. Grief can take many forms, but as someone who has lived this and now is helping others as a professional counselor, I believe in the power of forgiveness. And the LA Times wrote that many former friends of the Hoods have found forgiveness over the years as well. In another interesting twist, The Colorado Springs police officer who first took Jennifer's confession prior to her arrest, he wrote that he believed firmly that Brian manipulated her. The Ten Commandments are something that we talk about in in Sunday school, and murder is not okay. The biggest thing that I've learned is that God's grace is bigger than just about anything you can do. I mean, there's nothing that God's grace can't forgive you of. So I think that the Christian understanding is that she has been forgiven already by God. She used her platform to try to bring others into the Christian faith and try to try to lead others down a better path. 
I think sometimes, especially in true crime and, you know, as, as someone who consumes a lot of true crime, you want to hate the people that, that you hear about. You want to hate the people that do these terrible things and you want to be able to, to put them in columns of good and evil. And unfortunately, the world doesn't work like that. And I think everybody has shades of gray. I'm 29, so I'm right around the age that she was when this happened. And I don't know if I could be manipulated into killing someone. Probably not at this point, knowing the story. But I could be manipulated into other terrible things. And I could just make a mistake. I mean, when I was 22, I got into a car accident that was my fault. I thought I was at a four-way stop and, and I wasn't. The other person didn't have a stop. And I ended up flipping his truck. And I got out of the car and I was like, oh my God, I've killed someone. And I mean... Even though it's a bit different, it still is that mistake that, you know, I made a mistake, an honest mistake, and could have ended someone's life. He was fine, but I think that it's always good to get into the nuances of these things and an understanding. If anyone can listen to this and and think, have I ever been manipulated? Have I ever been in a position where I've been isolated and and manipulated and hurt by someone, maybe we can help them. And that's really what I think it's all about. It's about bringing the understanding as much as possible. According to Jenny's account of events, Brian had the ability to disguise murder and adultery and manipulate her into thinking killing Diane Hood was something good. And if you examine well-known biblical stories, this sort of thing is exactly Satan's modus operandi. God planted a seed in the Garden of Eden, a shiny apple, but Eve chose to go against God's command for something she perceived to be something good, or at the very least, something delicious, right? We all think we're above getting fooled by individuals like Brian. We're too savvy to get sucked into a cult, but everyone has vulnerabilities, moments of weakness and needs that we're seeking to be met. The most cunning manipulators are keen in not only who to set their sights on, but they're also experts in timing. And it's important for all of us to remember that none of us are safe from predators 100% of the time. Well, huge, huge thank you to Ali for sharing her story with us over the past two weeks. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group by searching The First Degree in the search bar. We are talking true crime all the time. And stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not (laughs) that close. Happy animation day. Happy cartoon day. Bye. Shout out to Jared Monaco for his sound design and scoring all the original music for The First Degree. Shout out to our production team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode include... People Magazine, The Denver Post, The Denver Gazette, AP News, The Denver Channel, KKTV, People, Court Documents, and remember, our first degree guest is always our largest source. All right. Well, welcome to another spooky episode of Killing Time. It's the last episode before Halloween. Mm. The sad Halloween. The The sad Halloween of the 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 century. Dude, Alexis and I are hanging out on Halloween and we're still trying so hard to find something to do that is safe and then also festive and then also not depressing. And I can't figure anything out. And I just keep landing on Jack. We're just having a sleepover. And she's like, no, there has to be like a safe 
bar crawl. I'm like, that does not exist. Yeah, that's not a safe bar crawl. I think we're no. just going to have a sleepover. She's like, no, we <laughs> Malibu Cafe. Here's my idea for the safe bar crawl. You didn't understand it correctly. My safe bar crawl idea is, you know, if you go to a restaurant, you have to order some kind of a food item. So there is Abbott Kinney in Venice. And my idea for our safe bar crawl was to go to each of the restaurants on Abbott Kinney and order an appetizer and a drink. And then go to the next and order an appetizer and a drink. And then that is your version of a quarantine bar crawl. Can you make reservations? I'm just worried like there'll be people everywhere in the streets and shit. Oh, fuck. You know what I think what you should just do is just – you know, drink a bunch of vodka in your apartment and eat Reese's pumpkins, and then you'll be fine. After after an hour and a half, you're gonna you're gonna look at each other and be like, "I'm so glad we didn't go out." <sighs> I mean, that I doesn't sound this. fun. That sounds kind of sickening. But that's um, exactly what I was talking about about the depressed Halloween that I don't want to have. No, this is the saddest Halloween ever. God. I think I think the main should write a song. About what are you doing, Billy? Oh, the main has their live show. We can watch that. We'll have to do that. That'll be something we can do. But oh, they, Hall- they have a Halloween show. They have a Halloween live stream. If anybody is a fan of the band, oh, a band called the main, they're doing a Halloween live stream. They have that Halloween song. They, they have a whole I, album. I dig that song. I like that song. It's a whole album called forever Halloween. They're doing costume contests and all this shit. What are you doing for Halloween, Billy? I am dressing up as a certain cartoon character. I'm going to uh, walk around the neighborhood of Toluca Lake <laughs> and uh, scare slash uh, uh, delight people with my impression of these this certain cartoon character, and um, you know, just try to be as as festive and joyous I can in on my favorite holiday in what is a very sullen time. You're not really so, selling it to me, Billy. That was the most unenthusiastic but I'm expression also, of plans I've ever heard. What part did you not understand about <laughs> sullen time, Alexis? <laughs> I'm just confused. You're going to just lurk around the neighborhood dressed up as what I'm assuming is Slender Man. And just okay, around. I said cartoon character, <laughs> but uh, I'm going with Jack uh, Skellington. I lurk around the neighborhood, uh, usually without you know uh, a costume. Or do you have but, any plans of like what you're where you're going, or you're just going to walk aimlessly dressed? Well, and my neighborhood like- happens to have a lot of uh, Halloween decorations, that kind of thing. So there will be, uh, uh, you know imbibing and walking around and then looking at the Halloween decorations. Maybe you seeing pose Ted Danson. In people's decorations as dec- as a decoration. That's right. I'm gonna Ooh. stand there in one of in one of the houses and be like, and they're gonna be like, wow, who's that? And they're gonna be like, I'm blank blank character, because I'm not gonna say it yet because it's a surprise. The it, this could be a whole like TikTok situation you could make where you're dressed up as as a decoration and then kids come trick-or-treating and then you spook them. I have a way yeah, to make this that, that would be a great TikTok if I was 19 years old, but yeah. I think, I think you should wear stilts <laughs> for this entire thing. I've been wearing stilts this whole time. You guys don't understand. I'm really five foot three. Can we guess what character do we think that Billy's going to be? Jack Skellington is not a cartoon. Isn't he a claymation? Claymation. Yeah. Yeah. That would be stop action animation, but yes. Stop action animation. So um, that's not what he's I'm going, eat. oh, I've got it. What? What? Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're kind of in the right, you're, you're kind of in the right um, color palette. Color Stretch Armstrong. Pal- <laughs> that's not color palette. That's actual, you know, no, physiology. That, that is that is the color palette of blue. Wasn't Dumbo blue no, or was first of all, Gumby purple? was green? And oh, you said Gumby. I thought you said Dumbo. Hulk Hogan. Dumbo. Dumbo's great. I mean, the Incredible too. Hulk. <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. Oh wait, okay. Gumby. Is green. it the Hulk? A, le- a leprechaun. It's the Hulk. Th- it's no, the it's Hulk. not the Hulk. And I, I know. I. I know, yeah, because of the swollenness. Yes, no, but <laughs> I didn't say that about you. You just said it about yourself again. Yeah, I know, but you were and leading I, me into that so you could bust on me. I was at not every moment. I'm pretty but sure the last time Billy think was talking 1970s about 1970s <laughs> cartoons. Oh fuck! That are green. 
I don't didn't watch the cartoon in the seventies. Yeah. Howdy doody. I know you didn't because you weren't you weren't alive. So yeah. That's right. Okay. We can okay. Yeah. I don't think no, we're we'll ever see, gonna you, get yeah, us. Yeah. No, you'll get you'll the yeah. Grinch. Well hmm, that's Ooh! pretty good. No, it's not really my body type. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Grinch is long and gangly. <laughs> Grinch, I think, is short. No. Am I thinking no, he's of got the those Grinch long one? three? He's got yeah. long fur fingers. The Slender Man. Oh, because he was, oh, you're thinking of the movie The Grinch and not the TV yes. show The Grinch. That's why. Yeah. Yes, I'm thinking about the movie. I the think Grinch. I think of the cartoon The Grinch, which is what everybody thinks of if they're not. Are you going to be Salad Fingers? <laughs> yes. We're basically just saying different <laughs> variations of Slender Man. Yeah. <laughs> Stretch Armstrong so, would be a really good one. That's your imagination. It's like, oh, tall, tall guy. You know, Salad like, Fingers was basically the like the meme of Slender Man, and then yeah. the Grinch is basically the Christmas version of Slender Man festive. <laughs> there's a holiday for every holiday. There's a Slenderman. I wonder what the Slenderman is for Easter. A like carrot, a, mm, monster carrot. Car- yes, <laughs> carrot fingers. Carrot. There's got to be some creepy, <laughs> creepy carrot out there. I'll find. I'm gonna find carrot the. Fingers. I'm gonna find yeah. the Slenderman carrot. That's that's gonna carrot be my goal. Okay, well, I, I think that everybody out there needs to guess what Billy's gonna be because I have no. I a, a 70s cartoon that's green. A frog no, that has a green element to it. It, it. It's not. He's not green, but he has got a it, uh, green. Give us more a, than that. That's, part of that's weird. Give us one green more clue. lantern. Green lantern. I would never be the Green Lantern in a million years. Okay. I don't even know what Sorry. that is. A frog? That's crazy that you actually knew Green Lantern, though. Look at you. Thanks. Oh. Is the Ryan Reynolds movie? Uh, yeah, I knew he was a superhero. I did. It's like a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had a ring that could, like, create anything. But he could. He had no Ant-Man. power over the color yellow. What about the Ant- Green Power Ranger, Tommy, my first love? Jacqueline, no. I sent you pictures of the Power Rangers and said, I want to be a Power Ranger with people. And you said, who, a I guy? The- I was like, anyone. <laughs> Alexis, we still have time. Amazon exists. We can order our costumes before can Saturday and walk around. That's fun because then we can run around like ninjas and be super comfy I, and be like, car- do it, cartwheels on the beach and be like, is, this is fun. This, this is, is a good better. idea. I never usually do a costume with a mask because it's too constricting for my face. But I'm I'm into this idea because we're not going to a party. It's more of just a show to all of the spectators. Jack, yeah, and this year is different because a mask. Wear a mask, and we can do a yeah. TikTok dance that we can learn. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a good idea. But now I'm the pink one. That's fine. I'll be uh, I'll be red, even though it's a boy. Okay, or blue. Cool. Oh my god, we're we're cute. That'd be fun. Billy, I bet you think Billy the blue ones one too. I'll Billy, do you want to get one? I'll be one. I'll be one of the monsters. Well, one oh, of the Billy Power Rangers. Power Ranger. One of the Power Rangers was named Billy, the blue one. He was the nerd. Okay. He wore glasses. All right, so I Billy, I'm going to be that one, and you're going to be the yellow Power Ranger girl. I will be. Okay. All right. Who's going to be the green one? Tommy was the best. Mm. Hmm. Can't we just be Powerpuff we'll Girls? We'll have to think about this later. Powerpuff Girls I also like as a costume. Yes. Actually, somebody asked us in my Halloween thread which Powerpuff Girl we would all be, but I don't know enough about the Powerpuff Girls to assign myself Are the a costumes cute? I'll be one anyway. They're pretty cute. Bubbles. We'll talk about Buttercup. this, Jack. We're, maybe we do both. I'm always down for costume change. Power Rangers like a a comfy onesie and we can do high kicks in. Like I kind of want to be comfortable and we can go to the beach and like literally do a backbend and be like cartwheel around. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to stretch first. We don't want to pull anything. (laughs) Oh my God. Dude, I pulled my back out playing tennis. Like how do you even do that? I didn't even play a, a strenuous game of tennis. I just hit the ball once. It wasn't even like a rousing game of tennis. Oh, this is what we wanted to talk about before we run out of time. Jack what? has a billboard on Coenga Boulevard in Hollywood right now, and we are so excited. And we were talking about whether that's a good investment of money. I believe it is. <laughs> Jack says she'd rather go on a vacation. <laughs> I mean, billboards are not cheap in Los Angeles, and I'm not going to give the backstory behind it because I don't know if that is public knowledge yet. 
but I didn't spend the money personally on it. I mean, I will take the glory of having a billboard. It is a really fun accomplishment, um, especially because our billboard that was in Times Square was seen by nobody because it was in the heat of the pandemic. So I'll take this one. It's pretty fun. I'm so happy. I'm so excited to see you up there. It's right by my house in the slums of Hollywood. It's a Lady Gang billboard. You guys are naked in a bathtub. Your naughty bits are not showing, but it's. What did you just say? Billy, that was disgusting. It's it's Hollywood. Naughty. People don't know. Billy, never say that term ever again. Also, naughty bits. Like, that's like (laughs) demonizing genitalia for no reason. Naughty bits. That sounds. Billy. Never sexy. I just said, all right, all right, but I didn't want people to be like, oh my god, they're naked, and uh, what kind of billboard is this? No, we're like, in a bath. No. We're in a bathtub, but the bathtub is covering up to almost all our shoulders. No it's naughty old, bits. It's, it's an old, you know, uh, uh, ball and claw bathtub. Yeah, Billy, I think a, you should change cute. your Insta- Instagram handle to Billy Naughty Bits Jensen, <laughs> <laughs> or just. Wait, should I see if anybody has naughty bits? I bet I'm sure they do. <laughs> I am sure somebody has but naughty bits. Do you want to take someone over will their now Instagram if we don't, if it's free? Yeah, naughty bits. Oh, and they're showing naughty bits. naughty bits. They certainly are showing naughty, naughty bits. Naughty bits is Instagram is a little like little nude light, like a little underwear situation, soft core. It's probably a shell (laughs) for one of those like really terrifying black web like crawfish stomp videos. Yeah, it's like (laughs) it's your way. You're like trying to decode something to get a password to get into the dark web. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I think. Um, think, Oh, anyways, the billboard. Yeah. What do you? Well, do you? Are we thinking? Do we need one? Do we need one for the first degree at some point? Mm. I wouldn't be Mm. mad about it. I think we should do yeah, it. Yeah, but fun. I would want I, I would want that whole like you know when they they drape a building yeah. in like seven stories of that's what I would want, but it would just uh, be a picture of Alexis. Excuse me. And then it would be like th- then just like with Jack Vanek and Billy Jensen. No, well, I'm not. I'm not incorporating into this paying of this billboard. I want. <laughs> I want. You know how they do those murals, like hand painted murals on the side of buildings for ads yes. sometimes. Yes. That's what I, I like want. I, I want oh. the time and the effort and the art, artistic ability into mm. crafting, and then they can like <laughs> smooth my wrinkles. <laughs> can be a little oh, yeah. I love the I love the fact of like somebody putting up maybe a twenty thousand dollar billboard, and Jack's like, "So you're just gonna you're gonna do it digitally? You're just gonna take the photograph and just put it in there?" Yeah, that's and not enough. You're not no, gonna. No, what's draw. fucked up? If it was a painting, Jack, because of my body dysmorphia, it would just look like a dolly painting, where like my face is melting off, <laughs> and like yeah. there's like loaves of bread all over my body. I'm gonna be like, no, no, abort, <laughs> fucking paint over Hands it. crawling all around. <laughs> yeah, it's good just in theory. Things Terrible like your own mushrooms. Practice. Anyways, yeah. I think we killed enough time. This is getting weird. It's all right, weird. um, we've killed 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Beep beep. Beep. Beep.